and a mouse keep running, running, and 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 running, running, Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. I'm Jim, and I'm going to be going through a couple books here tonight, a couple new number ones, you know, maybe a couple number twos as well, as we always say. And, yeah, we're going to get into the mystery of what happened to MJ and Peter. We'll have a bit of a return of Doctor Strange and more, more, more. But before we go into all of that, please go to Twitter at ws marvel comics follow us there and we'll follow you on back check out our website weird science marvel comics.com check out our youtube page weird science comics and then finally if you like all of what you get and you want more 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 then you could go over to our patreon patreon.com slash weird science it helps us out keeps us inspired all of that but like I said, we have a bunch of books, some better than others, but we'll see. We'll see how we work those out. And we're going to start off with Amazing Spider-Man. And yeah, everybody excited about this whole Rabin story? Everybody fired up, right? Well, let's talk about that now. Number 22. I've been saying for months and months that the mystery of what happened to Peter and MJ had dragged on for so long. That Zeb Wells risked nobody caring about it once he finally got to his big reveal. I have to admit, though, the last issue did interest me a tiny bit, even though the start of the reveal was a who the hell is this moment? Zeb Wells's Benjamin Rabin story from 2008's Amazing Spider-Man 555 to 557 was okay, but I haven't seen it on many you've got to read this Spidey story list. And while I don't mind a writer reaching back into his own catalog for story beats and continuations, it almost feels egotistical of Wells to think that the reveal was worth a 20-issue wait. So am I excited about all this after this issue? Not really. So let's start off, though, with the credits and the recap. Amazing Spider-Man number 22 is written by Zeb Wells with pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcelo Menez, and letters by DC show Caramagna. After Spider-Man stopped his plans to merge himself with the Mayan god Wyatt, the mad mathematician Benjamin Rabin spent years devising his revenge. A year and a half ago, Rabin finished his calculations and enacted his strategy to use the wall crawler to achieve godhood. Rabin combined his mathematical prowess and bastardization of Mayan mysticism to escape from prison and locate Peter. Upon their confrontation, he was quickly overpowered by Spidey, but not before Rabin could mark both him and Mary Jane Watson for sacrifice. When their marks were in place, Peter and MJ were transported to an apocalyptic version of New York City. And even even that, that recap just is a bunch of hooey. I'm telling you right now, everything is spinning around in your heads. And the idea that we're talking about a mad mathematician who's using the bastardization of Mayan mysticism and his math, that, that's not that good a story. That is not very exciting. That is not anything that I'm really interested in. But it's up to Zeb Wells to make it interesting, to make it worth reading. And I don't think he does in this issue, because once we start getting the mumbo-jumbo 
of this math and Mayan nonsense. It, it just it it makes me just want to throw the thing out the window and go do something else. But here we go. We're gonna go into this. You, you can kind of tell how this is gonna go, I think. But let's get into the whole deal. So here's what's going on in the issue. It opens up with Norman Osborn recognizing the scribble man on the news and knowing that Peter is in danger. Of course. That's a job for the Gold Goblin, but we are reminded that it is illegal to dress up as a hero in New York City still. And and really? Is it really? Because we haven't really dealt with that that much. This has been so hit and miss with this nonsense of, oh, my God, no costume heroes in New York City. Pretty much you're not going to be able to have books then, so stop it. Stop just willy-nilly throwing it out there whenever you want somebody that all this is is so that Norman will not be able to help probably. The idea that Gold Goblin now will be hampered in trying to do something or trying to help, but we'll see. But after an awkward scene to also remind everyone that Kamala Khan is in this book for some reason, we head back to the post-apocalyptic New York City where Peter and MJ found themselves at the end of last issue. They fight a robo-dino, which is its not as good as it sounds, until they're saved by Paul. And maybe I'm a dummy, but I keep losing track that we are one year in the past, so they don't know Paul yet. And really, do any of us truly know Paul? Well, Zeb Wells gives us some information here, but watching Paul explain the techno-pseudo-science of symbols is not very exciting, even though Paul says it's intoxicating to him. Seriously, Paul has to get out more. I guess it's interesting enough to find out that Paul did work with Rabin in the past as we swipe away to see Rabin himself hanging out, washing his face, and talking to Wyep, the ancient Mayan god. You see, back in Zebwell's first story, Spidey stopped the unholy communion of these two, but now Rabin is trying to make it right. This time he has marked the sun blood for sacrifice, and when Wyep hears that, He laughs like he just heard the best knock-knock joke ever. I mean, seriously? And I I don't know if people still tell knock-knock jokes anymore. I think they might be a thing of the past. Back with Peter, Paul, and Mary, Jane, Peter conveniently fixes a dimensional travel device, and for the rest of the issue, we get a back and forth of who will use it. Both Peter and MJ want the other one to use it, but in the end, it's Peter who gets pushed through the portal. The whole time, though, I wondered, why can't you both just go? Just open up the portal and both step in and out you go. I don't know. But why did they push Peter through the portal at the end? Well, he's the one with the sun blood. And that's what Wyatt needs to do his thing. Speaking of Wyatt, he shows up looking for a fight and proclaims that he is the god of scab and bones. (laughs) What? How late to the ceremony do you have to be to become the god of scab and bones? No wonder this guy is so pissed off. The second half of the issue is just an extended fight. And while Paul tries to liven things up with his octopus gun, it's not that exciting. In the end, Peter gets shoved through the portal and ends up in York, PA. I guess he forgot to type the new part of New York. So... We start to unravel the mystery of what is going on, but we don't get that far. I'm guessing that Peter is about to destroy York, PA, but the big question there is who will even notice? And I've said it before, and I will say it again. The best thing about York, PA is that it's not Scranton. 
I, I'm starting to think that we will get some timey-wimey Ultimension stuff with Paul and MJ, where they're stuck together here for years, fall in love, have kids, while only a day has passed for Peter in our world, that sort of deal. We will see, but at least I'm interested enough to guess about things. Interested enough, though, is not really a ringing endorsement. I found this issue pretty boring overall. I could care less about Rabin and Wyatt. I'm here to see what happened to Peter and MJ. And I was hoping to enjoy the story that gets us there along the way. And so far, with these two issues, I can't say that's really been the case. And with all of that, I did like the art enough. But I'm giving Amazing Spider-Man a 5.5 out of 10. And now we'll move on to a new number one, Doctor Strange number one. And while I'm not sure how many people read The Death of Doctor Strange, I actually enjoyed it enough. And when it ended, I was curious how Clea would work out as the new Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. But I did fall off the Strange book after a few issues. And we all knew that Stephen Strange would be back eventually. And I figured I'd just jump in when that happened. Well... Doctor Strange number one is here, and let's find out how it is, starting with the credits and the recap. Doctor Strange number one, written by Jed McKay, art by Pasquale Ferry, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. Previously, Doctor Stephen Strange was dead. In those months, much has happened. His wife Cleo took up the mantle of Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. Refugees from different mystical dimensions now reside on Earth. The remains of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secret magic division called Wand went rogue until Cleo took them down. Now Doctor Strange is back, and it's time to see what the world's been up to in his absence. So basically the recap that we're going to get there on the recap page is, hey, everybody, Doctor Strange, he was dead for a bit, and he's back. That's pretty much what we're going to get. Jump right into this. And after that non-recap, I figured that this number one would handle more of the recap for people who didn't read the death of or strange books in the story itself. And it doesn't quite do that. But instead, Jeb McKay spends about a third of the first issue getting the main character up to speed with what he missed. It's a bit odd and slow moving as Stephen does what a good doctor would. And visits and or helps out Spider-Man, Black Cat, Luke Cage, Doctor Doom, Daredevil, and finally, the Kulamesh refugees of Cornwall. Now, it's kind of easy to figure out which one of those doesn't quite fit in with the rest. And so, of course, that's the one that pushes the story forward. When Stephen and Clea find out that the refugees are being shipped to Agamon the Enslaver, it's off to the Purple Dimension to save them. And... I don't know if there's anybody who has good blood with Agamon, but there's certainly bad blood between him and Clea and Doctor Strange. While Agamon and Steven's issues go way back, it's Clea who seems the most angry here, and things quickly devolve into a Sorcerer Supreme standoff. And it doesn't help that Agamon was a part of Steven's recent murder, but as the Stranges are set to take some remaining refugees back with them to the Sanctum Sanctorum, Agamon kills one of them because he can and pretty much because he's a dick. Of course, Cleo wants to throw down right there, right then, but Stephen calms her down and they do head home. However, while her husband is taking a call from She-Hulk, it does look like Cleo takes matters into her own hands. Now, it's very similar 
to when Dr. Strange was murdered, which is a bit of poetic justice and made me chuckle a bit because, as we've already established, Agamon is a bit of a dick. Now, there is a backup story by Jed McKay with art by Andy McDonald, and to be quite honest, I liked it more than the front-up story. Wong and Pandora Peters have reformed Wand and are going around stopping crimes, making up rhymes, and actually recruiting new members. They don't have much room to be picky here, which is obvious when they end up adding the freaky Dr. Z to the group. And it's a fast-paced and fun story that ends up tying into the earlier cliffhanger of the main story, which actually was surprising and a bit of an added bonus for me. And thankfully, the backup story saves things a bit here because the main story was, for the most part, a bit tedious and boring. It took way too long to get moving, but once we got to Agamon, things did pick up, and the cliffhanger definitely was enough to make me want to read the next issue. The art in both stories was really good, so I'm going to give this first issue of Doctor Strange a solid 7 out of 10. And we're going to move on to a new number one here that... I don't know. It, it ends up where I, you're going to see, I, I didn't like it so much, uh, but a lot of people thought that it was a lot of fun, seemed to want to stick with it, and that's fine. I did have some people yelling at me about this, is why I'm saying this at the beginning here, but everybody's allowed to like or not like anything, and I ended up having some fun talking about this next book I haven't revealed just yet, but If you end up listening, please don't get mad if I don't like something that you like because it goes back and forth all the time. Everybody has their own taste, things like that. See, I'm running scared now because people were yelling at me. But here we go with this new number one, clobbering time number one. And I think I've heard someone say that looks are deceiving maybe once or twice. And I think there may be some sort of saying about judging a book by its cover. But I'm a big dummy with poor hearing, so I rarely listen to those things. And, well, that kind of bit me in the ass here because Steve Scrooge's clobbering time looked like a whole lot of fun to me. The thing in the Hulk on the cover looking like old-school cartoon action figures got me excited to read it. And the thing is actually saying clobbering time himself on the cover. He said the title of the book. Too bad I went and ruined things by reading the issue. Instead of just giggling at that cover I already said it, but I'll repeat myself Steve Scrooge is on both writing and art duties here I don't think he's related to Jim Croce at all Since he has a different name But I've not seen anyone confirm or deny that to this point His art, though, reminds me of a couple of my favorite artists Daniel Warren Johnson, even Chris Burnham So it's fair to say that I think he is a good artist As far as his writing goes I think he's a good artist. By the way, my favorite Jim Croce song is Rapid Roy, the Stock Car Boy, which I do think is a hidden gem. Now, I probably could summarize the entire plot to this issue in a sentence or two, but what kind of review would that be? So I'm going to take inspiration from the issue itself and stretch this one out. Stretch it thin. I'll even call it reviewing time to get into the spirit of things. So here goes reviewing time. The issue starts with Ben Grimm showing up to eat lunch with Reed and Bruce Banner, but conveniently Reed is busy doing Reed things when an Iron Man, Ultron, Doctor Doom hybrid guy steps out of a portal, grabs Ben and Bruce and throws them into a fantasy dimension of what I've described hairless gremlins, demons, and possibly bears. Oh my. Don't worry about why this is happening. 
just enjoy the duo killing a kaiju, then a demon king, then a demon horde, or don't. I mean, I didn't really enjoy it myself, so who am I to tell you what to do? And at one point, our heroes could have bailed on the hairless gremlins, but they didn't because, you know, they're heroes. I didn't see that one coming. By the end, the hairless gremlins don't get wet or fed after midnight, and Ben and Bruce get to go home because the Celestials showed up and made it so. If that doesn't sound like fun to you, we also get a Chalamet forehead joke and Johnny Storm laughing at Ben for the amount of Twitter followers he has. Now, I would have preferred a Shalimar joke and maybe seeing Johnny punch himself in the face here, but beggars can't be choosers. And I say that because I was begging for this issue to end after a couple pages. How can an issue that looks so fun be the opposite of that? How can a book with such a bare-bones story feel like such a slog to get through? I'm not totally sure, but Steve Scrooge nails it here. I usually give a book three issues before deciding if I should drop it or not, but I can kind of read the writing on the wall here, and I don't need to see much more. My guess is that everyone will join me after another issue or two, because besides being just a bad first issue, There's nothing by the end of this to make you think it'll get any better because who knows what really is going on here. I'm guessing we're going to get pretty much character guest stars of the month doing wacky, crazy stuff with really fun looking art, but a slog of a story. That's just me, though. I'm going to give this a generous six out of ten pretty much for the art alone. So that's it. That's it. Reviewing time is over. Now, if you're sitting there wondering, Did he like anything these last couple of weeks? The answer is yes. And we're going to go to two books now that I did really like. And if you are playing at home and have listened to the podcast a bit, they're not really going to be that much of a surprise. But we'll start with Strange Academy Finals number five. And this is a book that I have liked since the beginning since it was just Strange Academy way back when. And it's one of those things, though, that I kept kind of bitching and moaning about the idea that we never did get any class. And I mean, I don't have any class myself, but I really, really wanted to see some classroom shenanigans in this book. We never really got to that. We never really did. So it's kind of funny. I'm not going to bitch and moan about it anymore. That ship has sailed. But It is kind of funny in this issue where they're having their commencement ceremony after their first year. I'm like, I think they went to like two classes. Now, they did go on a lot of field trips. I'll give them that. Pretty cool school with that. But it just is one of those things that I kept just, come on, let's see more class. Let's see some class. But that's not really been the focus. The focus has been on the students, rightfully so. They're great. And the divide that you end up having when Emily ended up splitting from pretty much Doyle and the rest of the Strange Academy. Now, we've had, you know, some drama with that back and forth, but it's still been very good. And it is Strange Academy Finals, number five, written by Scotty Young, art by Umberto Ramos, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Coles. And I'm going to give you the recap here. The Academy was torn into an Emily Bright, and most of the student body left Strange Academy furious at the faculty. Since then, many of the students have returned, having second thoughts as Emily led them into the terrifying dark dimension. 
not a great place to go. The most recent defector was Asgardian twin Eirik Brorson, who had enough when Emily allied herself with the Dark Dimensions ruler and father to Doyle, the Dread Dormammu. Eirik returned just in time to take part in the first annual commencement ceremony, marking the advancement of the Strange Academy students to their sophomore year. The issue opens up in Weird World, where we have Queen Blyther yelling and screaming because her man-thing, Mossy, he's not ready to get off to see their son Toast commencement. And it's a, a cool deal here. If you remember, you ended up having Queen Blyther and Mossy go to Strange Academy twice now, once when they had Parents' Day, but also the other time when Toth was actually dead. So they end up where I don't know what's happening by the end of this scene. I actually sat and looked at it because what I thought was happening was somebody had gotten to Mossy and actually killed him in a shower because you end up where Queen Blyther, she's walking around yelling, oh, my God, who's running the shower? You didn't just give him the shower. Oh, we got to get going. We only have minutes to go. And then she ends up, we're going to be late for Toth and then just stops. As if something bad has happened uh, It's it's a weird transition of a scene I sat there looking I'm like, okay, is, is there something wrong with him? Is he just upset? Is whatever And maybe the play might have been that Yeah, the last time they did go there Was because Toth had been killed But you end up where all this going on You do see Mossy later So it's like, oh, thank God I thought maybe he was dead uh, But She's yelling and screaming. It's kind of a, a fun scene and does remind you that Toth is the pretty much prince of Weird World overall. So they're going to go off to see their son. And I like Toth. Not my favorite guy, but I do like him. My favorite's Gus. And you don't get tons of Gus. You don't get a lot of Gus here. But when Gus does shows up, he ends up kicking some butt. But we then go off and Voodoo is giving the whole commencement speech saying, hey, everybody. You know, most schools wait till they graduate, most of the command. But we do so much here. So much happens that I mean, I can't even tell you what happens here. It's so much. But we end up having a commencement each and every year. It's a nice little loophole type deal that Scotty Young is doing so that we can have this scene, which is nice for a bit. And we do end up getting some very much needed background to a character that I didn't really even think that we needed that much background. And then when you have it, you're like, oh, my God. But you end up seeing a bunch of things going on. Irik and Alvi, they're there with their father. You end up Calvinist passing around the programs. And he goes up to this woman and he ends up, yeah, I don't know who you belong to. And you end up where you have from off panel, that would be me. And it's funny when he does say that because what happens in this book, Clayton Coles does such a good job of having individual lettering for a lot of the characters you know that it's Doyle even before he gets that because you see how the lettering is and this is what I was saying we get a background of Doyle and his origin story and I never really thought of it I saw some reviews that they were saying man I've been waiting all this time and I've been you know wondering what was I just kind of went all right Easter Mamu's kid let's go I didn't think much about it I never actually sat to myself and said I wonder who Dormammu got busy with to get this going on. And it's funny because everybody's shocked. Oh, my God. What You you have a regular human mother. This is weird. He's like, don't be so shocked. This is my mom. Dormammu is my dad. And that's all you saw. When you looked at me, you didn't see the best part of me, my mother. 
And I really like that bit. And just to go even further, at one point he does say, my mom's the normal part. I was a normal baby. And she's like, listen, Doyle, I told you what I feel about that word normal. You know, we don't use that, that bad word. But he says, oh, sorry, mom. And then she kind of takes over. It's a cool way, actually, for the mother then to take over the storytelling here because we actually get it from the mother's mouth. I was going to say the horse's mouth, but I didn't want to throw shade at the mother. So she ends up talking that he definitely was just a human baby. He was born. She was a single young mother struggling a bit. But the big play, though, is it looks like you had the little baby Doyle had a growth in his head. It looks like he had brain cancer, maybe something going on, and nobody could help out. I mean, you have where Doyle's mom even went to Doctor Strange, and he's like, I can't do anything about it. So she had to go to other methods, darker methods. And I did see some people debating this because we end up having the idea that your mama was Doyle's father. And they're like, well, not really, because technically, as your mama will tell us in a little bit, it is the case because it looks like it's not fully spelled out, but it does definitely look like that. You ended up having the mother take Doyle to Dormammu, and Dormammu made a deal. Okay, well, I will spare his life, but he's now my son, you know, and that's how it is. And technically, almost like an adopted father, he is now the father of Doyle. And when he gave the magic, eventually that's what ended up happening is that magic that saved him started to kind of creep in a little more and more. And then, boom, he ends up the flaming headed Doyle that we know and love today. So and I, the moms just a pure gem. She says, I, I wouldn't change anything. He's perfect to me. Yeah, you know, maybe Parents Day commencement. It might cause a little bit of friction. It might be a little odd. I don't know that when this is going on that you could really take your mamu to like, you know, the court for, you know, visit. He's just going to do what he's going to do. I don't see your mamu dropping Doyle off at the Burger King on a Sunday afternoon for the mom to come and get him. So you end up where, boom, your mamu shows up. Now, I will give your mamu a lot of credit here. You're at a school function, right? He's now shown up one more time than my dad did. At anything I was involved with So Jamamu, we now see It's established in the Marvel Universe As a better father than my father Thank you, thanks dad Way to go buddy, I just gave him a little shout out Looking up, where I don't even know If that's the proper way to look I don't know, but in comes it Maybe he hangs with Jamamu Jamamu now can throw shade at him So Jamamu comes in and says Alright, listen, I guess my invitation wasn't in the mail Everybody's freaking out you end up where, oh, my God, what's going on? Shaylee's mom's like, I thought that everybody was protected here. I don't want to die. This is Dermamo. And you have Dermamo actually say, and it's it's kind of a clever thing. And this is where people were arguing. The idea that Dermamo says, well, you know, there are wards and little magics here to keep people out. But technically... I'm allowed in. I get through all that because technically I'm Doyle's father. So, yeah, he ends up, this is all a setup. And, again, you can think in the back of your mind that this is what your mama, in a weird way, was trying to get to way back when. He ends up having a son that ends up going to Strange Academy. Now he's allowed on the grounds. He could do all his nonsense. And he comes in because he is there and... 
Emily and her crew, Desi and all them, they come through with mindless ones. They're part of the Jermamu crew, hashtag Team Jermamu and Emily. And she comes walking in, and every time we see her, she gets more and more sus looking. I mean, she comes in here looking like she's in some sort of goth band. Like she's there. I mean, actually, she looks like a combination of like Alice Cooper, but also a little Steven Tyler mixed in there. She she's a showman right now, and she comes in, and everybody's yelling at her. Oh my God, you look worse every time we see you. You're straight up dressed up like a pure villain. And I like how you end up having Scotty Young do this, where the characters that end up having relationships will legitimately just go after each other. A lot of drama. You end up Doyle's yelling at Emily. You end up Zoe's yelling at Desi. Desi's yelling at Zoe. Everybody going back and forth with this, trying to, you know, pretty much talk a lot of crap with each other. And when they say to Emily, look at you, you're dressed like a villain, you're straight up villain, she laughs. I mean, cackles. She cackles like a villain. I mean, somebody's got to tell her that. But she ends up saying, really? You're still drinking the good versus bad juice boxes that they give you here because there's a gray area. And really, my man Calvin over here, you know, who kind of started this divide, he's like the personification of this gray area. He was really bad. He did some awful, but you let him back and then you did this. And all this is just to pretty much throw shade and pretty much to set up the still us versus you, you versus us sort of thing. And, yeah, you end up where all this going down. And like I said, Zoe starts yelling at Desi. And at one point, the faculty starts to kind of like, we better do something, especially with, you know, Dermamu there and all this going down. And Voodoo ends up saying, no, we can't. This isn't our place. The prophecy is the kids will take care of this either way, one way or the other. We're going to have to see how this works out. But it's not really a fair fight if you have Dermamu. And all of his minions and nonsense, mindless ones, they're all there with them. They're going to slaughter everyone, especially if the faculty legitimately says, we're not going to get involved. I can just imagine, like, they're yelling across the field, Jamamu, you know, you you can't get involved. Like, step back, let the kids take it. He's not going to listen. He's not going to listen at all. So something has to be done. And the really cool play here that's slightly, it's really subtly mentioned. Emily says at one point, I should have realized that Irik would, you know, give up the goods here. When Irik came back into the fold, he obviously told them, hey, Dramamo's involved here. I think Dramamo's going to show up. And they actually set this up and actually were waiting and ready. So everybody there, it combines. And even other people, other big, like, it's almost the whole MCU magic user community are joining together to move your mama. He ends up saying, you really think you're going to end up doing something bad to me? You're going to banish me? They're like, no, no, we're just going to move you out of the way. We need the kids to fight this fight. It has to at least be somewhat fair. So they end up all combining to move your mama away. Your mama was sent away, and the kids are there by themselves. The kids are there now by themselves. Now, the mindless ones still are there, but that gives numbers. There's not too many people left with Emily, so you kind of have to get some numbers going. But, yeah, it's pretty much kids versus kids, and they go 
at it. They start battling it out, and it's really cool. The art is always great, and Berno Ramos's art is always top notch. So I am always down with that, no matter what. But the fight scenes are always really good, and we get some. But this is like full out battle, which I've been waiting for uh, since this whole thing had started. So it's a really cool deal going down. And again, you're gonna have the people in relationships face off against each other. You're gonna have all this. So all of it's been established that this is the battle. To end all battles this is the battle to see How things go on and just to bring It up once again the prophecy ends Up that somebody is just gonna Burn baby burn everything and It's all gonna be and everybody thought it was Doyle At first but Emily's taking up that Kind of mantle saying "Eh, It's it's me it's not that So you end up where oh my god What's gonna happen are we actually gonna see The end here we're gonna see some Crazy fights to the point where People are dead but luckily Nobody seems to die just yet and a portal opens and that's the thing zelda comes in and it's supposed to be just the kids on their own now it seems like maybe zelda went off and did this on her own as well and it is funny i mean in this dark bit of fighting all this going on you end up having emily's parents her mom dad and dog come through the portal with zelda and like listen we're gonna have something to talk about she you end up having emily's mom say we're here to stop you and you do see that this really does affect Emily. And yeah, I, I love the idea that the mom is screaming. The dad is hiding behind the dog. You may say that he's holding the dog, but I think he's hiding behind the dog, if you ask me. But that's a really, really cool ending to a really good issue. Uh, as all this goes on, I don't know how everybody feels, but the idea, and they keep kind of hinting at it, and they keep saying at one point they when Ann Doyle's like, you don't understand your mama, he's controlling you. And then Emily's like, no, 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 I'm using him, that sort of thing. But it almost feels like, yeah, they're just going to accept Emily back. They accept Calvin back. So why not save Emily and bring her back? I'm at the point now, and I don't want that. I want Emily to just be locked up somewhere. She is a bad seed. I don't like it. So the idea of bringing her back, I don't know. I know it's awful because she was our main character, but since she's gone bad, I think the book's pretty cool. And that's a huge chance that Scotty Young took. Get your main character and turn her bad. I, I don't, I think she's gone too far. I think she has. Calvin always felt like he was, you know, kind of, he was just upset and he ended up not knowing what to do. And he was desperate because he wanted to be special. Emily's just straight up evil to me. I think she just straight up get rid of her no more uh but i think that they will accept their back and i'm sure everybody would want that but overall for a score with the great art and a really fun deal and it getting it it's ramping up the stakes are ramping up the whole story's ramping up i'm gonna give this a solid nine out of ten and now that i said how much i like strange academy finals number five we'll move on to the next book which i may even like a little bit more daredevil number nine it is the red fist saga part nine and it is written by chip zadarsky i had to get the page ready here manuel garcia on art matthew wilson on colors and then all the way down at the bottom vc's clayton calls on letters i always get upset that clayton is kind of pushed he's cast aside like he's down below like his soul has been banned we'll get to that 
that's a little bit of foreshadowing. It isn't, but it's kind of. We'll see. Here we go with the recap. I'm making myself giggle here. Matt and Electra have offered incarcerated criminals an opportunity to rehabilitate themselves at the Fist Island stronghold in exchange for their aid against the Hand. The Hand has kidnapped world leaders and replaced them with death-worshipping puppets, framing Electra for the assassination of the President of the United States in the process. Emboldened or embiggened by their new leader, the Punisher, the Hand has taken the son of one of Matt's recruits, Bullet, forcing Matt and Electra to finally take their army to war. After a gruesome and cataclysmic battle, Daredevil and Electra escape with the key to defeating the Hand, the Lunate Talisman. But the ancient conflict has gained the attention of other, even more powerful forces. Now, a couple things from that recap. I like the idea that that cataclysmic battle, they don't mention that dragon that was there. That was crazy. Any battle with a dragon, I say, is crazy. But you have a lot of other things that are kind of going to get twisted and turned in this issue where we're going to really see a, a real bunch of twists that are going to blow your mind. They're going to blow your mind. And I, when we get to the one, it really could have been the biggest cliffhanger. It's not even the cliffhanger. Oh, my goodness gracious. And I ended up saying that the idea that Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, still one of my favorite books, still one of my favorite books in all comics. But when you ended up stopping it and then restarting it with this number one, now we're at number nine, obviously, but it, it didn't go as great as I hoped. It, it almost felt at a point that Chip Zdarsky was going through the motions. I mean, the guy is writing Batman over at DC, and it just felt like this was a you know a side deal. Oh, you know, I'll get to that and eh, put this stuff. This issue now feels like, holy crap, he was building some things up. I'm not going to say that a lot of that, you know, incarcerated criminals, rehabilitation, and the bad prison system is better now because of all this. But it kind of was worth getting to this by the end because I think that this issue is a banger. And we do start out where you have Akka going and talking to the Stromwinds. And if you don't remember, that's Quinn and Una, Stromwind. I hate their guts. I just, I don't like them. It's not even just because they're all fancy with their high flute money, you know, that I don't have. They're just pure evil. I just can't stand them. And I'm actually more uh, hating on Una than actually Quinn. So I actually appreciate that Chip Zdarsky steps up Quinn so I can hate his ass just as much as I hate Una. So that's how I get by the end. Also, I don't like Akka either which I just want to call her AKA, but you end up where they're talking and some of the stuff that they're saying at this point makes like half sense. It makes complete sense when you get to the end. And if you do end up going and and finishing this issue, you're reading it yourself. A lot of people just, they finish it, they put it away. They either put it in the long box, they delete it off their hard drive, whatever you do. Go and do yourself a favor and go back to this first page, this first scene, and read it again. You don't have to go any further than that if you don't want to. But read this first page, and it's going to make a lot more sense after what happens at the end because they're pretty much figuring out what's their next move. They've used the Han and Akka to take over these world leaders and use them with as death puppets, as they say, that I think pretty much the biggest death puppet, as you know, Kermit the Frog. So you end up having this talk, but it's like 
okay, what are we going to do next? This is fun. And the Stromwinds are all about having their sadistic fun. It's mentioned a couple times in this issue, but you end up, Quinn says, no, no, we're done. I'm kind of done. The zombies with swords, that was fun at first, as it would be. But I'm kind of done with that. That was a fun distraction. But let's get to the big stuff here. Let's just burn this crap down. Let's just take it all and just destroy it. Akka's already said, you know, the hand there in disarray, Frank Castle's out of control, all this stuff going on. And she is all for this. When you end up having Quinn say, no, no, let's just burn it all down the hand. Let's take it. Just done. And Akka's like, yeah, that'll be good. I agree. Let's burn this crap down. But then she says, and the hand shall plant our flowers in their ashes, the ashes of the old regime. This is the purification and rebirth of what she wants of the hand. So she's in it for herself in the hand. The Stromwinds, they're kind of, at first, I mean, they like to have fun. Stromwinds like to have fun. I think I know that song. But you end up where, you know, they also want money, they want control, and they've gotten that. So they've gotten in spades. But it's time to really throw the whole entire world into chaos, and let's really have some fun. And that's what they are going to be all about. Then we go, and we hit the main deal of the book. I like enough that the art in the first page. You know, once we get into dreamscape of Matt's mind, because he is healing, he's healing from that big battle. And when we get, the art really takes a dive. And that's the only thing that's going to bring my score down from being really, really high is the art. I don't think the art's very strong in this issue, but the story very strong because you end up where Matt is he's having this mindscape dream he's having a fever dream he's trying to recover and it's you know Butch and Kingpin the two came and they're pretty much taunting Matt they're making fun of him oh my god you go and even at one point you do have Matt yell Fisk how dare you you know go off and die this is nonsense oh man this sucks and the big play is don't do the violence let's stop this violence we don't need the violence and they say oh no no we do and so do you and this is a thing that seems to be bugging matt and it's going to come full force in this issue the idea that matt might not be any bit better than say kingpin or butch or or just the criminals because he's not really helping people he's gotten beyond the helping people and now he is, and it's funny because he is part of the fist, and they really are. He's getting people to just be his fist. He ends up where some of the other people here are starting to see that Matt, he's not the daredevil that they agreed to join up with, and this whole war that they're involved with is a very selfish war, and it's not helping anybody, including Matt. So you end up going from there, and Matt wakes up. He was healing. It's horrific when you see this crazy eye socket nonsense. Disgusting, right? So he wakes up and Electra is there around a fire. Now, at first, you might think that maybe she's, you know, cooking s'mores, but she's a woman of class. She's not going to touch s'mores. They're nonsense. S'mores suck. So she's there and she has the talisman in this fire. She's reading from the book, The Fist, and you have stick there 
who has got his mortar and pestle and he's grinding maybe, you know, some garlic because they're going to fry some chicken up later. But he's there and they're going into this and Matt wakes up and wants to know, hey, what's going on? And and you end up having Electra saying, like, listen, just relax. We won. We, we got the talisman. We're going to destroy this thing. And then it's over. We've done this. We've destroyed the hand. So why don't you celebrate? Why don't you relax? Well, Matt, you know, can't celebrate. And he can't. So he goes and says, oh, I'm going to go see how everybody's doing. So he walks off. And that's when Electra says, we did it. We beat them. You said so yourself. If you don't allow yourself to feel the victories, You'll just burn away. You can't fix everything. And he gets his, you know, daredevil mask on and goes out. And you do have a pretty good narration throughout this with this kind of roller coaster ride of emotions that Matt is experiencing right now. And he says it's not over. And he'll end up where he runs into Cole. He's looking at all the people that are hurt. And there's a lot of pretty much everybody's hurt, including Matt. Cole comes out and says, Hey, are you good? And he's like, I'm fine. You know, we need some rest or whatever, but we got to get back to this fight. Now, Cole is one of the, you know, first of many that are going to happen in this issue where he says, wait a second, just like Electra said, of, why don't you relax, enjoy the victory? What Cole's saying is like, we got to stop this. These people are hurt, but we won. We stopped the bad guys. You, you said it. You, we stopped the bad guys. We rescued the kid. And you have this talisman. I mean, what are you talking about? You have to let these people not only just, you know, rest right now, but where's the next stage of this? Where is the winning stage? What's going on? I mean, are we just here to, at your whim, be fodder and get in this fight? Because there has to be something beyond that. Why won't you let us and yourself get to that? And Matt says, it's not over till we burn them to the ground we have to burn them off of the face of the earth we have to take them out of existence and it almost feels at this moment it's one of those where yeah this battle it's never going to end you're not going to let it end you're just going to grind everybody including yourself into the ground and it's got to stop it's got to stop and you end up cole says this is never going to end you can't have it end and people are going to die. And he's right. Matt will not accept. It's one of those things where if you're involved in a cause, that's your whole life. What happens when it ends? Your cause is gone. So you don't want it to end. You're not going to accept surrender. You're not going to accept the treaty. You have to keep fighting. And there's a lot of fights right now online that if you really think you don't even have to think that hard, you kind of get what I'm saying, that this happens every day. I see it every day trending all this nonsense where you just can't accept like okay even when you won even if you get what you asked for you have to go to the next part of the battle because that's your whole identity and existence that's what's happening here that's the problem with matt now while cole is throwing shade at him matt ends up hearing something and what he hears is i guess the jet firing up because some people are leaving bullet his son are leaving but you end up having Doc Sampson, Leonard leaving as well. At first, he says, oh, I'm going to take Bullet and his kid back to New York City. They deserve a rest. They want to just get on with their lives. Matt says, okay, come on, say it. He goes, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And, and again, it's another domino falling in this whole deal where he says, you're not helping people. 
I've gone away. I ended up bringing patience of mine to you, thinking that this was, say, a righteous cause, but a cause that would end up at the end benefiting them and making things better for them. But I see that that's not the case. You're not helping anybody. And again, I keep saying, not even himself, but he said, you know, Doc Samson says, I, you really, you know, didn't come through here for me or any of them. I'm leaving. I'm leaving with Bullet as son, and I'm not coming back. I'm going to get back to where I can help people, not just do this whole deal. And he says, and it's a real powerful statement. He says, listen, you know, once I came here, I saw a lecture and what was going on. You're building an army of daredevils. That's all you're doing. You're grabbing all of these people and using me to grab a bunch of them. And all you're doing is building an army of daredevils and daredevil is broken. It doesn't work. So I'm out. I'm not letting you hurt any of these people anymore. But if you end up eventually when you do figure out things and realize that you need help and go look, you can come to me. I will help you. You know where to find me. And Matt just lashes out. I mean, a lot of this stuff, if not all of it, makes a lot of sense, especially for a guy like Matt who is kind of a spiritual guy, a religious guy, too. I mean, all this kind of twists and turns around. But when you end up having Doc Sampson say, you know where to find me, he just yells, cowering in your office, helping no one. And he knows that's not true. He knows that that's just somebody angry and trying to like, you just insulted me. And yeah, it's true, but still it hurt my feelings. So I'm just going to throw something back at you. It really almost, in my mind, Plays out like, oh, well, you're a stinky poopy head. And then he walks away. And he even has the deal where in his mind, he's like, don't keep control, Matt. Don't get angry because he's just lashing out now. That didn't do anything. And when they fly off, you end up having Daredevil fall to his knees. Matt falls to his knees and screams like he's in lethal weapon or something, right? He's all upset. But as that's happening... Foggy runs out. Oh, my God, Matt, are you okay? What's going on? And boom, Matt hears something else. He ends up, because of his you know, advanced hearing, he hears something hit way off. He climbs a mountain to get to it. He's climbing up there, and he sees a box. He opens up the box, and there's a phone in it. And this is the deal where this actually is such a crazy little deal that makes you see just how crazy Quinn Stromwin, the Stromwins themselves, how much influence, how much money, how many things they can do, because there's Matt, and he's on a hidden island of the fist, and still, Quinn is able to get a box dropped, airdropped on the mountain with a phone, just so he could talk to him. That is crazy. So you end up where Matt gets the phone, and there is Quinn on the other end. Hey, what's up? How you been? It's been a long time. Uh, yeah, I just want to tell you, you really have advanced things up. You're really grown up. I, I love it. But here's what happened. You know, remember back then, back in the day when you, and he doesn't say, but it was Electra pretty much, but you uh, stole $3 billion from us. You know, at that point, I kind of considered you a nuisance, but you were kind of fun. I kind of liked it. It was kind of a fun little cat and mouse game we were playing. You know, I got, I got a chuckle out of you. Uh, but now, yeah, you're not so much fun. 
this whole fist thing, all of this, you're getting in the way of our plans and you you stop being fun. And we already saw earlier, like whether or not it's just the way that he spells it out or whatever, but Quinn he he likes things that are fun. He don't like it when it starts not being fun. So he's like, Yeah, you're kinda like a tick now. You're brewing in. You're more than just a fun nuisance now. You are a real pain in my butt and you're getting in the way. And so I just want you to apologize. I want you to say you're sorry. And it's just such a crazy conversation with the deal of again if matt says oh i'm sorry that's more of like saying okay i'm gonna stop you know this is pretty much you know quinn saying say you're sorry and stop your damn nonsense and i won't do anything i will actually stop things that are coming your way you know things that might be avenging something and you know they might be like might as well just say it the avengers he ends up i could stop this matt's not gonna listen and you end up where he hears a jet coming in then oh crap it's the avengers oh no these people are in trouble the avengers are gonna come and take us all away all of our fight and i think that matt is running down into his little village there not just to save people because what are the avengers gonna do the avengers gonna come in and kill people No, they're going to grab everybody. This means that Matt's war is over. If this ends up happening and the Avengers come down, and they're just going to round everybody up and take them away. And again, the war is over then. So he runs down. And this, again, shows you that both Cole and Doc Sampson, they were 100% right. He wants this to keep going. He's not there to help people. He could, you know, yap all he wants about how prisons need reform. You know, that's kind of the surface level deal that he was using, I think, to justify all the things that he was doing, which were just as bad, if not worse. So while that's all going on, though, remember that Electra, she has the fire, the book. They are trying to destroy this talisman. And she ended up when Matt ended up waking up, she did start to explain what all of that meant. She ends up telling him that this talisman ends up where If that gets destroyed, all these zombies, all these people that the hand have controlled, they will just die. They'll be gone because what the hand has been doing is using this talisman to get dead bodies, raise them up from the dead and use them. And unfortunately, those bodies, their souls that were part, they're in hell now. So anybody that has been used or, you know, in this whole deal with the talisman, with the hand, their souls are banished to hell. And so this will stop it all. All of these zombies, everybody, they'll just drop over. They'll be done. So while this is going on, you end up having Electra still trying to do that. Well, this plane comes in. It's it's not the Avengers. It's it's somebody at canister bombs are let loose as this jet flies over there's a big explosion but the big thing that matt realizes right away that this isn't just bombs this is actually gas bombs that now the gas is coming out it's going all and it's that resid and this is a great callback it's the resid the gas that was in the prisons when matt was you know arrested went to trial and then got sent to jail the resid was that chemical that ends up making people go insane, get violent, they turn on each other, all that. So this is basically the Stromwinds, it seems, doing this so that everybody on the island now just attacks each other. 
you don't even need to even battle anybody. They're going to battle themselves. So Matt runs down, grabs Foggy and says, Foggy, come on, come in here. Uh, you know, don't breathe. You're, I don't want you to get this reset in your system. And Foggy seems okay. Except for he starts to explain things. And this is the jaw-dropping part of this, where Foggy says, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get affected by this. I don't need to hold my breath. So Matt says, no, damn it. What are you talking about, Foggy? What's going on? And so as this is going on, you have this back and forth where you have Matt saying, like, Foggy, what's going on? And you see that Electra, and you can kind of get the idea that she's getting closer and closer to destroying this talisman. Well, Foggy says, you know what was nice of you? Remember when Kingpin almost killed me? He, like, almost got halfway to killing me, right? And you came and you helped me out and nursed me back to health in the hospital. Remember that? That was really nice of you. But remember, and you should know this. Kingpin doesn't half kill people. Kingpin doesn't do things half measures. He does the whole thing. And Matt is like trying to kind of come to like, what, what is he talking about? And the thing that I loved about this is the way that it progressed and the exact dialogue, which I'll read. He says, it was so sweet when you rushed to me after Fisk's men put me in the hospital. You cared for me, brought me here to the island. And Matt's. Foggy, what? And then he says, Fisk never does anything in half measures. You know that. And I right away it dawned on me, oh, shit, Foggy's dead. This isn't even Foggy. Foggy's so... And then he says, they killed me, that that I was dead. So Foggy, one of every, if you're a Daredevil fan, you, you love Foggy. Foggy's soul is in hell now. All of this nonsense, everything that happened, and Matt's best friend, has been dead for all this time and his soul has been in hell being tortured this is a dupe body that was brought up and is a pretty much a zombie agent i'd like to say sleeper agent but it's more a zombie agent of the hand and so this is the play when matt ended up getting that phone that quinn stromwin dropped he was really weirded out about the idea of this is a secret island how did he know we were here well now we know we know that Foggy, but just that whole idea that Foggy's dead, that is crazy. But it, it's one thing to have a character die in a book, but to have a soul banished to hell, I don't know. And that, and having it done with a guy like Matt, a very religious guy, like this is completely screwing with him. Well, right as that ends up being revealed, you do have the talisman gets destroyed. It kind of pops. It, it blows up in the fire. And Stick is right there and says, it's done. The hand's prophecy is complete. So as this is going on, though, because the talisman has been destroyed, Foggy starts to dissipate. It's very Endgame-esque. He kind of starts to turn to dust, and he's getting blown. But also, Stick does as well. So it's another jaw jump. Like, holy crap, Like what's going on? And this is the thing where Stick, he knows what's, he's a zombie of the hand. He ends up saying, there was rot in the hand, kid. A- Akka knew, even the high priestess didn't. So you see that Akka has done all of this because from that beginning, which I said, if you go back and read the beginning, it makes it that much better. But it ends up where they're trying to purge this 
that what they think is the hand has gotten too out of hand. Not no pun intended, but they need to purge it. They need to start again. It's going to rise from the ashes, as they said. But Foggy is just disappearing into dust. Stick is too, but I am more of a foggy guy. Stick gets on my nerves, so whatever. Uh, but you end up having zombie Foggy. Buddy says, uh, Foggy Nelson, your friend, he's in hell. And that's the last thing that Body says, and then it's gone. And then you end up, Stick says, Stick is dead. The fist is dead. The hand will be reborn, and he's gone. And Electra doesn't know what's going on. And she ends up like almost falling over and says, Matthew. And I wonder at this point if she's saying that because she needs Matt at that point. She needs to tell him what just happened to Stick and that this was all a dupe. Or if she might actually be afraid that maybe Matt had been dead, too. I don't know. But I think it's more of the I have to find Matt. we got to figure this out. And Matt, he as everybody in this village are beating the crap out of each other, trying to kill each other because the reset, he just slumps down against the wall. And he's like, why? And now, again, this stuff that's gone on, foggy soul in hell, all of these people pretty much opening Matt's one eye, at least, right? To the idea that things have been going bad and this is a war that Matt will never let end, but he never can win. All of the stuff, comes crashing down and he starts questioning God and says, why would you let this happen? And then realize that God himself is heartbroken because all humanity knows is violence. The idea that there was God who makes man and gives man his only son and they kill him. And since then, it's just been perpetual violence. That's all we're good for. That's all we do. And he's had enough. I mean, he's like, I'm done. God is dead. I'm out. I don't know, but all we have is violence, so let's get to it. And he ends up where he runs out because he again hears something, and this time it's not more recent. The Avengers and Spider-Man, Black Panther, Captain America, Iron Man, and Jane Foster, Valkyrie, end up showing up to take down Matt. Matt comes running out with Electra. Electra tries to tell him about Stick and he says, I love the narration. She comes in and the narration is Electra saying something about Stick. I don't know. He's in shock and he goes out and yeah, he's going to fight whatever but you end up Spidey ends up grabbing one of his sticks right out of his hands and then says, what the hell have you done? I mean, they're showing up in the middle of people just clawing themselves apart. All this stuff and We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, at this point, because of what's happened and everything going on, I don't quite think that Matt's just going to give up. I don't think he's going to say, well, you know, and, and anyway, I don't think that anybody on the Avengers, Spider-Man, any that they think that, you know, he should give up. I, they, they're there to lay some smack down, it seems. So we'll see how it goes. If it's anything like the cover for next issue, it's not going to go over so well. But overall. This was a little more of a, you know, extended review because I really, really did like this issue. I didn't like the art as much. If this would have been standard, regular art that we have had, Cachetto art, stuff like this could have been a 9.9. That's how much I thought that the stuff hit 
There's shocking stuff. There's, you know, heartfelt stuff. There's a lot of feels. All that all rolled up to one. Even with the art, I'm going to give this a 9.3. And, yeah, it's really, really good. So that is it. We ended up having two really good books by the end. I think people might have been afraid at the beginning, like, boy, he's not liking anything at all. What's going on? But, no, I really did like Strange Academy Finals, and I love Daredevil. It gets me excited for the book again, even with it coming to an end. But at least I'm excited for it to get to that end and really go out with a bang. Because at the end here, I will tell you, please go over to Twitter and follow us at WS Marvel Comics, and we will follow you back 100% if you do follow us. Please, if you end up being able to rate and review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you listen on that, that would be great, too. That really helps us out. Also, check out our website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com, for reviews each and every week. Check out our YouTube channel, Weird Science Comics, where I do kind of at points mini reviews of some things and get a lot of stuff going, but DC, Marvel, manga, a lot of stuff there. And then finally, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash weirdscience, where you can help us out for all the things that we do, all of the podcasts here on the Marvel feed. We also have all the stuff at the DC manga all that and we even have indie stuff a lot of stuff that goes on in the patreon it's just a ton of comic book stuff stuff that we love to talk about me talking with a bunch a very bunch of hosts and we have a lot of reading clubs where we go and go through a series a whole deal like a hellboy reading club a walking dead comic book reading club we have crisis podcast that's all there you, you gotta go check it out but, uh and if you do thanks a lot so with all of that i'm very tired it is very i don't know if you can tell it is at the point now i'll look at the yeah it's 4 30 a.m and i have to get up at eight so i'm gonna have to go off edit this and then go to bed and get right back up because the grind keeps on happening that's a slave to the grind just like me so with all of that thanks everybody And I'll talk to you all later. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.